passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and I am joined by Waiting. Yeah. Hey, nice to see you. You're in my basement again. I love this place. It's what? great. What are you doing here? You know, I didn't even invite you this time. You, you know what's crazy? Up? How many of these weeks have we been doing this? Like seven, eight weeks now? Sure, yeah. So every week, for eight weeks, I've been coming over here, and I still... I think I'm right at the point now where I don't need the GPS anymore. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, man. I can get to your main area, but then it's like the little side streets that I think I have down. I Tonight, tonight I tested myself and didn't even look. Good stuff. And yeah. I made it. You know, it's not that easy. It's kind of, um, yeah, they, they all kind of look the same. So, um, well, that's great. It only took seven weeks. That's pretty good, though. Seven weeks. So yeah. there we go. We're making progress, Way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try, and I'm not even going to. Turn my phone on next time. Mm, okay. Not at all. How about try it with your eyes closed? I'm not, I'm not going to try that. I guarantee no. I'll never make it then. Oh, okay, okay. And then you could have some problems. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. This is a rare Sunday show for me. I'm not used to talking on Sundays. You and I have never spoken on a Sunday. Never. Not in, at least in uh, years and years and years. Yeah. So we've got a big review. We've got Clash of Champions to talk about. Uh, Final Battle, which... I was debating whether we'd even cover Final Battle because it's been 48 hours later. And then I'm thinking this afternoon, uh, do we do Final Battle? And then Daniel Cormier and the Young Bucks decided, let's completely make this so relevant by showcasing a spot from their six-man, and it just exploded today. I know you were very busy way, so maybe yeah. you weren't focusing no, on have, all of this. I'm completely unaware. But I'll wow. bring you up to speed okay, during I that review. To it. So we'll chat about uh, Final Battle. Mm-hmm. As well, uh, I got this mysterious link from you right before I came over here. Yes. And apparently, there's a new YouTube channel that you told me to promote and subscribe to. Yeah, I mean, there's been these videos popping up. Crazy. With people that look just like us. Not all Asians look alike, way. Well. But this man looks... These guys have had beards. He looks like a ringer. Yeah, I suppose. The other guy. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, go on our uh, Twitter pages. We retweeted and we've posted these videos. And do check them out. We will talk more about them in the days ahead. Oh, okay. I had all these questions for you. But oh, okay. I'll have to save them. Twitter.com. I am John Pollock. Way, W-A-I-0937. My dad thinks it's W-E-I. And I have... Uh, Many people think it's that. I actually corrected him, but, you know, it's... Uh, it's a tough name to get used to. Yeah, as yeah. you can see. No, most people would assume W E I. Well, I don't know. I still get Pollack, A C K, yeah, all the time. Yeah, so I know. it's just you, you need, just get we, used to it. We really need more marketable names. I think I I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I was in fifth grade, we had this activity, this exercise for like the first day, the first week of school, mm-hmm. where you would have to do this game 
where you have to solve all these clues and the answers are different people in your class. Like this person has uh, an older brother, blah, blah. You'd have to go and communicate with your classmates and answer these questions. And I'm working on it and I'm down to one final question. And it was, this person contains a lock. And then I'm so stumped on this. And my friend Ryan goes, dude, it's you. It's like, what do you mean it's me? I don't contain a... And I was like, oh, Christ, I do. <laughs> My name does contain a lock. This person contains a lock. And I had no idea, and he made fun of me for it. Wow. He was like, man, it was the last one, and we were stumped on it. And here it was, it was me. Wow, what a nice riddle. Yeah, so there is how everyone can remember it. Contains a lock. Contains a lock, yes. There you go. You ever been called lock? Never. It's a cool nickname, isn't it? Lock. Yeah, like if you were a, a vigilante superhero, that would be your name. Yes, I would be the. Uh, it's lock. The pun usher. Yes, yes, you would. That would be my weapon. Yeah, jokes. Yes. Uh, are you ready to chat Clash of Champions? I'm very ready. Wade's gonna kick me out of his house within an hour, so yep. we gotta get through all of this. I gotta eat. Sunday night, we talked about this quite a lot. This was not a show that had a whole ton of interest going into it, and mm. I'm not gonna lie. On Sunday. When I clicked on that promo that Mojo Raleigh cut, it's like after four weeks of television, this might have been the best promotional element to this entire show. Eight hours of SmackDown we watched to build up this show, and less than two minutes of a promo cut on a man's phone was my most, uh, I thought, effective piece of promotion for Clash of Champions. For a kickoff match. For a kickoff match. Yeah. I thought it was Mojo's great promo, and... It was yet another example of somebody that it doesn't shock me anymore. These guys that can cut great promos. They're, 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 most of them are on the roster for a reason. Yes. And Talking Smack really exposed that of a lot of these guys. It's like, wow, there's a lot of depth to this guy. They've got a lot more range than we give them uh, credit for or lack of credit for. Mm-hmm. And Mojo, uh, congrats on just clearly doing this on his own because this was never shown on the kickoff show. And I don't know how you couldn't find a minute 50 to throw that thing on there. He wasn't on the show at all. He wasn't on SmackDown at all, is what I meant. Um, like well, I'm just Smack- saying this promo could have easily oh, aired on tonight's kickoff no before the match. Well, I'm sure part of the frustration for him was the fact that he wasn't. He nor Zach were featured on SmackDown at all. And their match that was supposed to be in a, in a grudge feud was placed onto a kickoff. So, um, you know, good for him for taking matters into his own hands and, you know, let, let that be a lesson, I suppose, for anybody. Was it a lesson, though? I mean, they didn't even reward the guy with even. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, for talent, you know, if you're not getting TV time. See, go to me, like time. this thing. I mean, granted, we're we're somewhat in a bubble. I don't want to say this thing took over everybody's lives, but it was a great promo, and I saw nothing but praise for it. Mm-hmm. And to me, if it's the company, it's like, man, this is a great example. We're gonna take this promo, we're gonna play it on the show, and it's. The problem is, John, they didn't come up with it themselves. And if you see on Total Divas, great research. Oh, yeah. Whenever somebody goes rogue and tries to write their own story, they might not necessarily be all that happy about that. So uh, the whole grab grab the brass ring, it's wait for the brass ring to be handed to you when we decide. I mean, this was like him promoting a match on the pay-per-view. I'm sure that's totally fine. And I, I really would love, love to see, you know, like Talking Smack's no longer around. Well, you know what? You have a connection to one point, however many people, followers you have on your Twitter profile. Make a video. You know, hold up a selfie camera and 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 just cut a promo. Let the world see what you can do. 
The pre-show panel consisted of Renee Young, Sam Roberts, and David Otunga, who was back. And Sam Roberts noted that six months of fashion files will come to a head tonight when the Bludgeon Brothers take on Brizongo. Mm-hmm. I never watched the the full uh, fashion files that aired in edited form this past week, but I guess that it was in fact the Bludgeon Brothers behind all of these attacks, and this was the culmination tonight. Was that what we're supposed to believe? I didn't. That's watch. what Sam Roberts informed oh, us, and that's okay. what they brought up during the match. So BB was the Bludgeon Brothers, as everybody. Expected. This was the blow off to everything. Way, all of this six right. months of fashion files. Okay, uh, we had Dasha interviewing AJ Styles and. The chemistry that these two possessed. I mean, AJ just had a deep... He had a lot of work ahead of him tonight, from carrying this interview to carrying a lot more later in the show. Dasha was then with Naomi and introduced her as the girl with the glow. And she talked about her and Charlotte being used to being surrounded by haters and SmackDown is not here for the taking by the Riot Squad. And they better stay away from her or they will, in the worst way possible, feel the glow. Hmm. So I imagine that means something like where you'd need UV protection and that wouldn't be provided. Retina damage, maybe like an eclipse. Some type of radiation. Um, They die. Can't be healthy. That would be the worst. Charlotte then joined the panel. Natalia interrupted and said that this is the last time Charlotte's ever going to go through a TSA check-in with her title and hopes she had one final cry with her dad on FaceTime with the title. Nice. Then Kayla interviewed the New Day. Um, All we learned here was that uh, they would like to sell booty powder and pancake mix on WWE Shop, and Big E cut a promo about debuting five years ago. This was all stuff I'm just bringing up that did make the cut tonight instead of uh, the promo, which was cut, that I'm going to continually reference mojo versus zach the mega power is exploding on the kickoff show big start this crowd first of all the start i thought wow this is one of the best pay-per-view crowds of the year yeah this boston crowd sounded awesome Mm -hmm. now they would not stay at this level but they the first couple of matches was like man this is going to be an awesome atmosphere tonight. I mean, you also consider the crowd, or sorry, the card itself, not necessarily the hottest card. And if they're going to be that excited for the... They for, treated Mojo and Zach like, we care about this match. Yeah. Uh, they go to the floor. Ryder uh, gets driven into the apron. They go through a break. Zach slaps them back. These two were working hard. I mean, I'm not going to say this was a great match, but they were working with an intensity. Zach hit the broski boot. Mojo got his foot on the rope to break up the cover. And then Mojo takes out Ryder's knee and hits his running forearm smash to Ryder in the face and beat him. Seven minutes, ten seconds. And this felt like the uh, the end of the mm. feud after this big breakup. I'm guessing they just want to move Mojo on relatively quickly. Which was funny watching the Andre the Giant... The, the Andre the Giant Battle Royal footage they had, and they did do a video package for this match. Mm-hmm. And you see Rob Gronkowski getting involved in that Battle Royal at WrestleMania. Mojo eliminates Jinder to win the Battle Royal. I mean, it's almost like you look back, it's, we criticized at the time, like if you had all these plans for Jinder, he, he probably should have just won this thing. And looking back at this thing, it feels like Mojo's now the next project hmm. to put in this, this heel role. Hmm. That's what it felt like. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doubting that they put the belt on him. Uh, After this year, you're going to doubt anyone that they'll well, put the belt on. Uh, uh. Would not surprise me at all. 
Then the pay-per-view itself began with the three-way involving Baron Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, and Bobby Roode. Uh, Ziggler's silent entrance was back. Mm -hmm. Though it was not silent, this crowd, super hot for this Mm -hmm. match. Uh, You know, momentum is one of those words that we always talk about. There's a new one that's been added to the mix. And this is one that I hear it on Impact some weeks. Uh, Booker uses it. Renee used it on the pre-show. And then Byron Saxton here. Head on a swivel. You've got to have your head on a swivel. Once you hear this, you won't unhear it. Hmm. It gets dropped all the damn time. Is it just Byron? No, it's a. It's oh. everyone uses this, so I can't even say it's like a specific trait of one person. It's I hear it all the time, and I, it's a term I rarely hear outside of pro wrestling I'm, broadcasts. I've never heard of it in life. Well, maybe I'll start using it. Swivel your head a bit more mm-hmm. with your pop culture. Maybe you'll find this term. Uh, we had Baron slide under the the ring, came back, missed Ziggler or missed Rude with the clothesline, taking out Ziggler. Ziggler then returned. Root blocked a zigzag. Corbin clotheslines uh, both on opposite sides. Uh, this was kind of like Hanson's spot, only many less times doing it. Did the deep six to Rude for a two count. Crowd is going nuts, chanting Bobby Rude. There was a Tower of Doom spot with Corbin tossing the two off. Corbin missed Ziggler and ran shoulder first into the post. Ziggler then set up for a super kick on Rude, missed and took a spine buster. Rude does the glorious pose and... It's so night and day when you have an entire arena shouting this glorious tagline as opposed to not. Mm-hmm. Ziggler then blocks the glorious DDT, hits his own for a near fall. And then we saw Rude slingshot Ziggler into the post. Glorious DDT is hit, but Corbin goes to toss him out. But Rude reverses that, sending Corbin to the floor. But Corbin still manages to pull down Rude to break up the pinfall. Corbin goes for a choke slam into a backbreaker on the floor, and then an end of days is delivered to Rude, or he goes to hit it, but then Ziggler returns, and as Corbin goes to hit the end of days, Ziggler hits the zigzag, and Ziggler pins Corbin at 12.05. This crowd was excellent. I thought it was a really good three-way match, Mm -hmm. and Baron Corbin was involved in one of the best matches on the show, and some people may say the best match. Uh, I wouldn't I go guess, that far, but yeah. this was lo- Argue. loads above where I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it, that's more of an indictment on the rest of the card than <laughs> anything, but uh, I thought it was a pretty hot opener, and really, I think the MVP being mm, the crowd, because, you know, I thought it was an okay match, but this crowd really elevated it to another level, and Bobby Roode felt like a, a, an, an over babyface. Uh, the match that was, you know, the match felt like it was built around him, and it's interesting because he should really be the biggest heel of the three of the people in this match. Um, but, you know, what what do you think is next? Is it Rude versus Ziggler again? I mean, they're teasing Corbin versus Ziggler again. I just like Ziggler being the choice um, that's not expected. I understand why they would put the belt on him, but Ziggler versus anybody is not anything I'm looking forward to at this point. <laughs> Well, they'll definitely do the rematch stip, and then it's and then it's Royal Rumble time. Like I, I don't, I think we'll have like some minor television programs, but I would expect all three in the Rumble. I don't expect anything above and beyond that. So then this title is just it's it's just on a guy during a, a dead point at this time. Uh, they aired a spot for the Royal Rumble, and then we go backstage. Daniel Bryan is with a PA with a referee shirt that he says is too big. It's built for someone like Earthquake. 
And Shane comes in stating his fits as he's basically trying to be contained inside of this shirt. And he respects Brian. He doesn't know what's going on with him and asked him, what's going on through your head? And Brian said, ask Joseph Maroon. Brian says, both men will be inside of the ring. Shane asks, how is this going to work? And Brian says, he has some ideas. Let's go speak privately. And I don't know how this conversation went, but the first five minutes of this match, this was not sorted out. And this became very confusing Mm -hmm. later for our tag match with two referees inside of the ring. Mm -hmm. They took a lot of simple concepts like four ways and guest referees Mm -hmm. and made them very complicated on this show. Dasha is with Baron Corbin. And I thought their negative charisma were going to just cancel one another out here. I My screen couldn't even take this. Dasha just interviews Baron asking about his squandered opportunities. This is like watching a, a fight where Joe Rogan gets into the ring and ignores the winner and just goes to the loser and says, you kind of came off like a piece of shit losing this fight. How do you feel? And Baron throws a fit here because he's asked about losing the money in the bank briefcase, now losing the title. He blames this on Ziggler. He didn't deserve to be in the match. He's going to pay for it when he takes his title back and throws a trash can for good measure. Mm -hmm. Corbin versus Ziggler. Oof. Exciting. Mm -hmm. Maybe they could add a stipulation to it, okay? Trash bin throwing contest. What if they wore gloves? Because this year, do you know what day SmackDown takes place on? Glove day. Boxing day. Oh, yes. Wow. Cool. Perfect. Okay. Yes, they can have a boxing match. It's boxing day. Yes. <laughs> Aiden English is in the ring. Maybe the most popular man in Boston, next to Rusev. Mm-hmm. He gets a very good reaction here. He brings out Rusev. This whole crowd is chanting Rusev Day. They're not even going to bother with a turn. They're baby faces. Mm, depending on the crowd, I would assume. Like, this was very. Much... I think this is going to be very contagious. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, he comes out with his Rusev Day shirt. I hope English gets some cut of these, these Rusev Day shirts. Me too. Because this guy's got no merch. But to me, he has made Rusev Day something. Mm-hmm. And he goes through the. The 12 days of Rusev, or I guess it was the 12 months of Rusev, and he goes all the way through. And by the end of this, it's like this crowd was just in awe that a guy could go in descending order from the number 12 and get all the way through. And they just cheered this man like he had cured world hunger. The song is over. It's no longer a heel act. You know, the crowd, like, you know how, um, what is it, Elias does his songs and people don't want to hear them? People want to hear this 12 days of Rusev. You know, doing a spot at the Rumble when you have both rosters and a backstage thing or something with Elias in English, I think would be great, actually. And after, he asks if the audience wants an encore, and they go nuts. And they're interrupted by Benjamin and Gable. And I think that tells you everything about what kind of uh, announcement or reaction they expected Mm -hmm. by having the heels and Benjamin and Gable be the ones to interrupt and not thinking this crowd would react any other way than how they did. Hmm. The Usos did a pre-match promo saying this isn't America's Got Talent or The Voice. They do their own remix where it's every day, uh, their 12 days preceded or followed by the term mm-hmm. lockdown. Yeah, they were unfortunately very overshadowed by English and Rusev here. They tried to do this lockdown um, crowd chant, but 
it really it started to catch on slightly and then the crowd just kind of lost interest partway through and you know their promo style while i think it's interesting it's not necessarily they're a little they speak a little too fast you know what i mean to be chantable and i don't think it's nearly as fun as something like english and rusev are doing they also provided impact with the whole ad campaign next time they do this event yeah and then the new day was out with their pancakes and xavier woods handing them out to the crowd which i have no earthly idea why this thing has gotten popular these would you want to grab a raw pancake at a wrestling show um get that batter on your hands and that grease i really wouldn't um but I, there are a lot of things I wouldn't do at a wrestling show. Just watching these, all these entrances, like you had English and Rusev with the, the, you know, their, their home run of an entrance, the Usos with their pre-match ritual, and then the New Day with the, these pancakes things that are getting over it. And then you just had Benjamin and Gable who are just there. They don't have a, like a special thing. No, they're, I mean, they're, they aren't the newest team, but I would say um, they... They're certainly the most vanilla of all the teams, and I feel like they're still looking for something, whether that be a promo style or just anything. Right now, they're just, what, former amateur wrestlers still trying to find their thing. That's it. Suplexes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they had a, they mentioned this in passing on SmackDown, mm-hmm. and we did note it, but I didn't give it any thought until watching this. Me neither. Four men were going to be legal at once. So one person representing each team, and... If you thought the crowd was confused, the men that had to perform this task seemed even more confused. Thankfully, this broke down and they just isolated it to two people in the ring and the rest went to the floor and were out of the match. But when there were four guys in the ring, this felt like such a clusterfuck. Completely. Yeah. I mean, both. Okay, so all four men are legal at the same time. But to wrestle the match, they decided to basically split have two matches go on at once. One person, like two people would wrestle one match on one side of the ring, two other people would wrestle on another side of the ring. And it was just like, it just, there was far less space for both pairs to work. Maybe they could have cut the ring in half with a virtual line like we'd get in a later match. Yeah. And we'd have people allotted certain, a certain circumference that they could occupy. This was certainly overthinking itself. Mm -hmm. Kingston ended up getting run into a Rusev kick, and then later Rusev was in, super over. He applied the the accolade to Chad Gable, and with everyone on the floor, Big E broke it up and lifted Rusev for the midnight hour, but English knocked Kofi off of the top. Rusev then hit a Machka kick to Big E for a near fall. Rusev applies the accolade to Big E. Big E tries to stand up, he can't, and the crowd erupts as Big E goes down. Gable then comes from behind, just deadlifts Rusev and hits him into this released German onto his neck. This looked very impressive. Then Gable goes for one, uh, he delivers the chaos theory to Aiden English and then delivers one to Big E. And this was Gable's big sequence of the match. Mm -hmm. Gable then goes to deliver another one, this time to Jimmy, who tags in Jay as it's uh, kind of mid-suplex. They stop it hits Gable with a pair of super kicks, and then Jay comes off the top after being tagged with the frog splash to Gable in 12.54, getting the win. Uh, once you got away from the four men, this turned into a very good match. So that was the positive of it. Yeah. It turned into a good match, but the beginning, I thought this thing was going to 
totally fall apart. Once they got into the false finish sequences, it was just, I think, standard fare for these types of matches, and these guys knew exactly what to do. But unfortunately for most of this match, they had to figure out how to have two matches at once. One pair had to make sure not to overshadow the other pair, so they had to stall as they waited for the other group to finish. It was all very awkward. Um, and the most interesting thing, I think, to come out of the match was, again, just how over Rusev and English were to this audience and probably to other audiences after this, too. So um, do you still pair them with the Usos or do you pair them with the heel team? And how many heel teams are there anymore? There's the Bludgeon Brothers. And Gable and Benjamin. Yeah, and Gable and Benjamin. Who aren't very strong heels at all. So, Yeah, the Bludgeon yeah. Brothers are kind of being kept separate, which you can't do forever at this point. No, I imagine they'll go up against the, the, the new, oh, sorry, the Usos or the New Day relatively soon. Yeah. Next up was Charlotte and Natalia in a Lumberjack match for the women's title. The Lumberjacks consisting of the Riot Squad, Naomi, Lana, Tamina, and Carmella. Natalia gets tossed to the floor and is kicked by Naomi and then sent back in. The idea here is that Natalia's tried to make, make friends with everybody mm-hmm. and get all the lumberjacks on her side. Natalia gets in control and she repeatedly sends Charlotte to the floor and the lumberjacks go after her. They trade slaps in the ring. Natalia takes over. And then finally, Natalia is sent to the floor and Carmella just lifts her up and puts her back into the ring without attacking her. Charlotte does her chops, her strut. And then onto the floor, she goes for Ruby Riot, and Naomi hits a springboard crossbody to all the women on the floor. Natalia gets Charlotte back in, applies a sharpshooter, but Charlotte gets out of that. She's knocked down. Natalia's on the floor. Carmella teases cashing in her briefcase getting in, but then gets jumped by the Riot squad, so that never happens. It would have been the dumbest time to cash in (laughs) a briefcase with everybody else on the roster right there. Yeah, in a lumberjack situation. So she gets jumped by the Riot Squad. All the Lumberjacks fight on the floor. So Charlotte hits a moonsault off the top to the floor. Natalia gets up and then sends her into the post. So Charlotte's big moonsault had the least effect on the person she was having a match with. And back into the ring, Charlotte counters a sharpshooter, applies the figure eight, and Charlotte wins the match 10-32. I wasn't a big fan of this match. I thought the pace of it was very kind of slow and then very start and stop with the frequent throwings of the the opponents into the audience or sorry into the lumberjacks and uh, i just didn't really get much of a sense for any momentum to really develop in the match itself um yeah i mean they're going with charlotte and natalia seems to be off doing something else yeah so the post-match was kayla interviewing natalia again interviewing the loser what went wrong And she said she did nothing wrong. She said Charlotte used her family's name to cut corners. Which is quite the breakdown of a loss immediately after. And she's given the WWE the best matches that they've ever seen. And has carried this division for a decade. And is treated with disrespect. And said if the fans are going to turn their back on her, then she's turning her back on them. And she left the ring crying. Hmm. Teasing the... I guess what, a... Retirement. A retirement? Not really, though. She didn't say that at all. And as a heel, you can't necessarily, like, tease that type of... Like, so the thing is, like, she was already a heel cutting a promo like this, and I assume she'll come back 
just somewhat repackaged. As a cat? Mm, do cats have backs? They do. Yeah. But their backs are actually their tops. <laughs> Aren't they? Could you qualify for a for the women's division if you identify as feline? Yes. Hmm. Um Well, um if you're a female cat, sure, why not? These are all possibilities that could be explored. Yes. I think the main thing is I don't think any of the audience thought that this woman was leaving. No, no. Which no. was the intent. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I'm interested to see what type of uh, repackaging or what type of evolution in character she's she she'll uh, debut. Maybe she's going to be go through uh, a period of just of doubt and reeling from this loss, and she's going to be the opposite of her father's team. She's going to be low energy. Wow. Low energy. <laughs> These are all wonderful ideas. Yeah. Cat or low energy. Okay. Take your pick. Thanks. Dasha then knocks on Jinder Mahal's door. And the Sings answer. And he is meditating for his match and cannot speak. He's going over this match. Which I imagine went something like this. All right, AJ, AJ. I've got all these great ideas. Okay. First off, Jinder, you're going to work the ribs. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But... Midway through the match, I've got gender. When you're working the ribs and you stop working the ribs, I want you to go back to the ribs. And then he pitched all his ideas, and AJ just said, No, you're attacking the ribs. I will literally do everything else in this match, and you will attack <laughs> the ribs. But what about the ribs? Done. Anyway, the Sings left it open ended if they would be ringside or not. The answer, they were. Brizongo versus the Bludgeon Brothers. These guys look great. Mm-hmm. Oh, Brizongo. No, yes. I meant the Bludgeon Brothers. Oh, yes. Yes. Those yeah. hammers aren't cheap, by the way. Like 40 bucks. Yeah. Party city. Brizongo start off with a pair of kicks to Rowan off the apron, and he blocks a post shot, and then he lifts up Breeze. And drops him face first on the edge of the apron. This was like an atomic drop, but what was atomic was his face exploding as it hit the apron. Uh, He was dead. And then they hit their, what I'm just going to call forever, the killer bomb to Fandango. And then the double crucifix bomb for the win in a minute 58. And that was the end of six months, according to them, of Fashion Files. I I can't imagine that's the end of Fashion Files. I think This felt like... The temporary end of Brizongo's push, if that's what you want to call it. I would say um, being knocked onto .com and off the of TV was probably the end of their push. Or just being delayed for so many weeks of not doing these Fashion Files things was probably the end. So, yeah. Yeah. Not much to say about this. Well, they cut their promos in person. They did. Yeah, this was a first. The future holds more bludgeoning. More pain. More fear. The end of the beginning. The beginning of the end. Harper. Rowan. Post-dress. Oh, (laughs) damn it. You fucking tripped me. Well, what a pleasure to hear this live. I know. You know? I mean, one take. Pretty good. These promos Uh, aren't that hard to learn. Oh, come on. Listen, uh... Say what you will about those uh, vignettes and their their promos. Like they seem to have 
hit on, I think, a working formula with this team, and that's just having them destroy people in entertaining squashes and then cutting these patterned back-and-forth promos that I think, you know, aren't necessarily meant to be taken seriously, meaning you're not, you're never going to vote for these two as promo of the year, okay? But it's, like, easily recognizable. It's very patterned, and I think they're setting up expectations with the audience to know what to expect every time they appear. Just two guys who destroy everybody and then cut these back-and-forth promos. There comes a point, and they're not at it yet, though, where they're going to have to decide where we're going with this team because they can veer into territory where they become great heel tag team mm-hmm. or they become the Ascension. I don't think they're the Ascension at all. Well, not at least not, not right, right now, now, I'm saying. I'm just, yeah. if they continue it and it just becomes comedy stuff. Yeah. Like I, don't, they, I don't find this comedic, though. I think it has the possibility to devolve into that. Certainly, certainly. But in ring, I think they do a very good job of being serious. And in the end, like, I, I look at these two and I look at them as probably the biggest threats in the tag team division, you know, storyline-wise. Dasha then interviews Owens and Zayn. Dasha had a very busy night, by the way. Um, you sure it was Dasha? I, I can tell these two apart. Oh. Kayla and Dasha don't look all that alike, no, I don't think. Like, isn't there another girl now? Who's NXT? Is that the NXT girl, Kayla? Kayla's on NXT oh, okay. as well. There's, there's got to be another one. Right? There's Charlie. All right. Uh, I, who's I, the other one? I believe you. Christy St. Cloud. Okay. Anyway. You, are you making that up? No, I'm, I'm like almost a, positive like that's her name. Up, made up name. <laughs> uh, they laugh about Dasha asking them if Brian has ulterior motives. Owens brings up Shane uh, screwing his chances at winning back the U.S. title from this past summer. Call themselves A-plus talent. Brian is aware of that. And he's there to make sure it's a fair fight tonight. The Sammy and Kevin show isn't getting canceled anytime soon. The Yep movement will rage on. And they give her this angry look when she asks about the possibility of these two being fired. And that took us into our tag match. Were you surprised at all uh, this was second from the top and not going on last? Because Mm. this was the one with the biggest storyline implications and was pushed higher i thought than the main event hmm i was a little bit surprised yes because i would say uh for me i had more interest in this match and i think a lot of people had more interest in this match than the main event uh maybe at some point they just decided it's the world championship it should go on last so the match begins and we've got brian and shane in the ring together Orton goes for a cover early and both shane and brian go to count but they're not doing it uh in unison and Graves points out that the counts were not done together. And Byron asks, how is this going to work? And that's what I was asking myself. And I don't know, the first, I would say half to three quarters of this match, this audience was not all that into it, especially given the stakes involved, mm-hmm. the talent involved. And first, I don't think anybody bought the stakes. I certainly don't think this audience bought those stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just... It's I think they were also confused by the ref yeah, situation. Certainly. It was... What you're what you're seeing in a match like this is not necessarily a wrestling match. You're seeing wrestling in the background of some physical storytelling between two referees. And that kind of, you know, maybe unfortunate. It, it, the wrestling was certainly secondary. And at times kind of made it feel like there was too much going on if you're trying to focus on both wrestling and on Shane and Brian in the ring at the same time. So Shane and Brian, after arguing, 
agree to separate the ring in half for each to officiate. Yep. Like the old Ring of Honor, Matt. What? Oh, like, like the it, design? Like diagonal? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we just broke this in half. Uh, this poor crowd that had to figure all this out for oh, themselves yeah. without the benefit of commentary. Mm-hmm. They got the advantage on Orton in their corner. Owen starts arguing with Shane. They built up to a tag for Nakamura. He was in. Nakamura was a real afterthought in this match. Like, he just felt like he had no... Orton at least had the feud ongoing. Nakamura had no connection here. No, yeah. Um, Just there, which kind of summarizes his year, to be honest. Uh, Nakamura hit a flying triangle to Owens, and with Nakamura applying the triangle, Brian counted the shoulders down of Nakamura... Zane came in, hit a blue thunder bomb. They double teamed Nakamura. Owens landing a senton. Orton broke that up. Orton hit that great looking superplex to Zane. And then they get pulled to the floor and Zane and Owens clear the announcer's desk. Nakamura is laid down on the table and Owens comes off the table next to it with a splash, putting Nakamura through it. Orton uh, hit a draping DDT to Zane and then hits the RKO. Shane goes for the count. But as he's counting, Owen shoves Brian, who lands on top of Shane, to stop the cover. Mm-hmm. Shane is furious. Brian is apologizing. And then Orton gets into Brian's face, and Owen sneaks up from behind, and you think he's going to capitalize, but Orton reacts and hits him with an RKO. They do a series of cradles and reverses. Zane then rolls up Orton. Shane counts one, two, and then holds up. Didn't give the middle finger like another famous uh, two count from Shane. Uh, Brian is pissed about this, that Shane just blatantly fucked Owens and or Zane. And the crowd is going nuts for this. At this point, they're into it. They get it, the mm-hmm. dissension between Shane and Brian. Orton goes for another RKO, but Zane counters it with a roll-up, and Brian gets down on all fours and fast counts Orton and Zane and Owens win at 21-33 and leaves with the... Uh, a, a lot less, um, I guess you were go- You thought that it was going to be kind of a more vague outcome, and instead this was more Shane and Brian just... Completely, were, yeah. Yeah, at this, odds. No, this match was designed to heat up Shane versus Brian, and the other people... I can't were- wait for that match. <laughs> I mean, uh, and unfortunately, if you're there, if you were here to see a wrestling match, you would have probably been disappointed, because the match itself was a little disjoint- dis- disjointed and not all that memorable, but I thought all the Shane Bryan stuff was very well executed. I thought having Bryan be shoved in by Kevin Owens to break the pinfall and then Shane not seeing it and assuming that Bryan broke it on purpose was brilliant. And then from that point on, I thought both men were doing heelish things, but they, in their minds, it was an eye for an eye. Brian deliberately fucked up my pin, so I'm going to deliberately fuck up his pin. And then Brian, in retaliation to that, fast counted. So I thought it was like, there was, what, I, what I liked about it was that there was no blatant heel turn in this. Both men are still baby faces, but they just feel like they're doing the right thing in their minds because they felt cheated. And it was really just a circumstance, or you could say Kevin Owens, that created the dispute. And so, you know, I thought they escalated that feud really well. The match itself, not worth watching, honestly, but all the all the Brian and Shane stuff I thought was good. So you've got Brian now locked up. He can do a match with Orton coming out of this and then build to the big Shane one. So. I do I do wonder what they have in, have planned for this. I mean, what what could it be with Daniel Bryan? You know, 
he brings in another wrestler. That's the most he could do, right? A surrogate. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu Can you do a jiu-jitsu match between the two? I'm not sure. Well, Shane trains. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah. we could have... Man, look at that. Penzo in his corner. And Brian trains uh, at the lab in Arizona. Right. Get John Crouch in his corner. Done. Maybe Benson will come in. Benson can be his representative. Do you think they they would allow Brian to do a worked grappling match? No. (laughs) I don't feel they will. Nor do I think the audience would really care for it. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Shane in a grappling match sounds like uh, just pierce my eyeball. AJ Styles and Jinder Mahal was the main event for the WWE title. The Sings are out at ringside. At the start, Styles goes after the left knee of Mahal uh, and his leg, ramming it into the barricade, which would tie into setting up the calf crusher for later. Mahal then lifts Styles, drops him on the top rope, ribs first, and the crowd is chanting, Jinder sucks, and Styles is then run over the barricade into the timekeeper's area, and then Jinder was your creator wrestler, and he had three moves, and they were all designed to target the ribs of AJ and to the betterment of the match AJ sold his ass off all of his stuff I thought was pretty much airtight um, as he sold throughout this I mean this was all on AJ to just to convey how much pain this man was in and base his offense around selling his ribs Mahal hit a gut buster off of his shoulders Styles hit an electric chair as both go down there was a point where Styles tried to lift him for the Ushigoroshi. He couldn't. So he came, he threw Mahal with an Irish whip into the ropes to use his momentum to lift up to hit the Ushigoroshi, which Corey Graves explained and was a welcome use of the term momentum to make it all tie in together of what Styles was trying to do. Swiveled his head. Styles went for a running forearm, and Mahal was on his back and just kicked him in the ribs. It was anytime Styles got something going, Mahal would cut him off by attacking the ribs. Um, so Styles uh, goes for a tornado DDT. It's blocked, so he lands on his ribs. Eventually, he comes back. He hits this. He takes a super kick, kicks out of that, and then he makes his comeback. He hits a springboard 450, which is kind of stupid when your ribs are injured. But he sold it. Like, he couldn't even go for the pinfall. And with the idea, at least if I hit this, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but he couldn't get himself over. And then Styles attacks the Sings, who tugged at Jinder. And he hit a Styles clash to Samir on the floor. Goes for a springboard. Mahal's out of the way. Hits a flying knee from behind. And then hits the Coloss to AJ. And AJ kicks out of this. Not the kind of reaction you would expect for a guy kicking out of this move, which has been pretty well protected throughout this entire gender push. Um, but it did lead um, to a Styles chant shortly afterwards, and the crowd woke up at this point. Mahal calls for the Styles clash, which would have been <laughs> just forever embedded in people's minds if this happened. Styles countered his own Styles clash to apply the calf crusher, rolls to the middle, and Mahal taps out 22-57. Um, Mahal, to me, was a warm body in this ring that just did very little and didn't fuck it up. And Styles, I thought, was tremendous here. But this was not a main event. This crowd was all that into until the final couple of minutes. I think what was intriguing was to trying to see whether or not they would actually do the title switch and put the belt back onto gender, which I think everybody thought was still a possibility. 
um, and they did not, which tells me that this is probably, for now, uh, maybe forever, the end of the experiment with Jinder Mahal. Um, yeah, the match, I thought, yeah, it, it was kind of yeah up to what I expected. Um, and I'll say, like, I think Jinder really has improved in terms of presence, you know, as a main event uh, heel. Um, it's, you know, he still, I think, has a long ways to go before being recognized as somebody actually good and fit for the role. But I'll say, like, he's gotten better, you know. And uh, seems like AJ is moving on. Who do you think is next? For AJ, coming out of this show... Like, really, you don't have anyone that's kind of primed for that. Yeah, Owens and uh, Zayn are the top heels on the show, but they're taken up right now. Mm, who else? I mean, God, like, who's next after that? You've got a lot of time before the Rumble. Yeah. I mean, you you could put... I I don't have any interest right now in seeing any more of Styles and Owens. Like, their Styles feud just... Owens. Me neither, no. Like, we saw that, and that feud just... It did not click at the level you would think. But who are the other heels on SmackDown that you could actually do a match with? Zayn? Corbin? I mean, but again, who's to say that you need to do a, a heel for, for this match, you know? They could do... Have they done Orton? Styles? Uh, they've done it on... I mean, and also... Maybe they haven't done anything significant. You know, Orton and Nakamura are also possibilities. I know, you know, AJ probably... Uh, wants to save up that Nakamura match for a bigger stage, but um, uh, the options are kind of running low right now. Unless you do another match with Jinder, which I I personally don't really no, want to see. Not right after now. this. No, I don't think so. Yeah, but Rumble, you know, um, who do you have for AJ? Yeah, you could have Corbin. Corbin? God damn! No <laughs> way. Yikes. Uh, maybe Cena's coming back. Cena's probably back. Yeah. That's something you could do. You don't really want to... Yeah, you don't... You could put Cena in the Rumble, but he'd be more valuable doing that. Especially yeah. in a market like Philadelphia. I think that's a big match. They haven't done it. It's been long enough since him, they've done it. Him going for the title again. Sure. Record. Yeah. Maybe. So, overall... Um, when this started out, like, two matches in, I was like, man, this, is, this could be one of the sleeper shows. And it kind of just evened itself out. I thought this crowd was going to carry the show to be much higher, but then yeah. they kind of mellowed. And... The crowd certainly carried much of this show. and uh, But overall, I, I can't say any of the matches. Uh, a combination of just like weird stipulations and poor execution of those stipulations, I think, kind of ruined uh, what was already on paper not a very good-looking show. I give the show a C. Um, we're doing letter grades now? I just came up with it. <laughs> uh, I give it... Um... <laughs> On a on a scale of one to a hundred, I'd give it a uh, a fifty nine. Yeah, I give it I give it maybe a fifty one. Oh, fifty one, yeah. barely a pass, barely passed, but yeah. it did pass. Yeah, sure. Uh, Ring of Honor's final battle show from Friday night, forty eight hours ago, Hammerstein Ballroom. Uh, this place was looked full. Um, the one real um, takeaway on this show was. Like, you really got the sense this was a big year for Ring of Honor, and it was. It was their biggest year to date, mm -hmm. and the commentary kind of echoed that throughout the show. Like, this was a really big year for us going into 2018. Overall, I thought this was... I, I was never bored with the show. It was easy to watch. But there was never that point during any of the matches where I'd say, wow, this is great. Mm. It was just... 
it was like, that was good. That was good. I, I never thought, oh, this is awful. Um, but that's what the show felt like throughout. It was like, this is good. Um, for a year-end show, I want more than just good. I feel like that's how I feel about Ring of Honor in general sometimes. Like, it's good, but it's not like I have to go out of my way to necessarily watch it. Um, there's varying degrees. Like, there were some strange matches on this show, just pairings. Um, we'll get into it here. The announcing was uh, Ian Riccoboni and Colt Cabana, who, uh, throughout this year, I think they've become a really enjoyable team together. I've always enjoyed Ian Riccoboni, and the fact that he's now been... He, he feels much more comfortable in this role, and Colt's a very good color commentator. I think these two have really found their chemistry together, and... These two, especially as a two-man team, they were they were experimenting before with pay-per-views where Kevin Kelly would be inserted as a third man. The two-man is just a way better setup, mm. I find. These two had a good show together. The first match was Will Ospreay and Matt Taven. And it was kind of just Will Ospreay on the show for the sake of it in a match that I don't know how many people were necessarily excited about going in. It was just almost a way to get these guys onto the show. Um, Taven distracted referee Todd Sinclair as Vinny Marsalia and TK O'Ryan attacked Osprey on the floor, throwing him into the barricade. And there was a spot where Taven attacks the back of Osprey and applied a lion tamer, which led to a Y2J chant from the crowd. Osprey hit this crazy elbow strike to the back of the head uh, for a two count. Taven then tried to stop the cheeky Nando's kick and got kicked right in the throat. Osprey goes to the top for a shooting star to Marsilia and Orion, but Taven capitalizes, drop kicks Osprey in the back of the head, and then as Osprey comes back, does the Robinson special, but the Oss cutter gets blocked, and Taven hits his finish, the climax for the win at 10 minutes and 50 seconds. So, kind of a surprise there. You'd have Matt Taven go over Will Osprey, but Taven is kind of the more pushed of the two in Ring of Honor, and Taven says that. This is the last time that he'll leave final battle without gold. So he's got a year, I guess, to win a title at the next year's show. That's a long time. Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian took on War Machine. And Cabana notes that Ray Rowe, who had been suspended on television, he's been allowed to compete here after uh, clearing it with the New York State Athletic Commission. So good for them to get their clearances here. Uh, Danielson and Kazarian, they tripped up Raymond Rowe from the floor, double-teamed him, Hanson tagged in and hit this running seated splash. All four were down after the slingshot cutter by Kazarian to Hanson, and then War Machine did the pop-up into the power slam to Daniels. Hanson was a suicide dive to Kazarian, and then the fallout, and War Machine won. 926, clean finish, beating the heels, and kind of ended this feud, and then Kazarian and Daniels would be involved in an angle later in the show. For some people, and I think I'd include myself here, I thought the best match on the show was Marty Skrull against Jay Lethal. And the way they built this match up was Marty Skrull trying to state that Jay Lethal, he's kind of gone soft. He's no more, uh, he's not this vicious heel anymore. He's he's softened since he's lost the ROH title. That's why he's not the champion. And Skrull is now the new villain. And... Skrull comes out all in white with his mask, and he's going by the moniker now as well as the Ghostbuster, because he beat Adam Cole, who left the company, he beat Donovan Dijak in his last match, and he beat Sanjay Dutt in his last match with Ring of Honor. So this is the guy that you lose to, you leave the company. So they shake hands at the start of it. Lethal hits his suicide dive, follows with European uppercuts. Cabana notes that the Bullet Club 
are like the Bitcoin of Ring of Honor because they just keep growing and growing and getting bigger. And uh, they might crash. Uh, maybe, maybe. There's always, I guess, that, that fear. Um, the lethal injection gets blocked. Squirrel applies the chicken wing, but lethal rolls over for a two count on top. Squirrel then shoves lethal into Todd Sinclair, nails lethal in the knee, and then grabs the chair and throws it to uh, lethal and does the Eddie Guerrero back bump spot. But then lethal goes down as well. And the crowd went nuts for this, chanting for Eddie. Lethal then kicked out of the Ghostbuster, which is Adam Cole's old last shot, which is the the neck breaker into the brain, uh, the brain buster onto the knee. Um, Lethal then grabs one of uh, Skrull's umbrellas. Sinclair takes it away. Skrull gets a different umbrella and it ends up with Lethal kicking Skrull low behind Todd Sinclair's back and then hits the Lethal injection to win at 1554. So the story here was that Lethal, against his better judgment, had to use a low blow in order to get the win. And they played up how conflicted he was, that here he was, he had to cheat to beat Marty Skrull. So it told a good story, and this was a very good match between the two. Motor City Machine Guns against the best friends, Trent Beretta and Chucky T for the tag titles. Uh, We saw at the beginning here, um, the Motor City Machine Guns, they hugged to, to mock Beretta and Chuck Taylor. Taylor spun Saban off of his shoulders into this cutter from Beretta for a two count. There was a dude buster that got stopped by Shelly delivering a super kick into a code red. There was a lawn dart delivered to Shelly onto the floor uh, with Taylor then sending him off the shoulders into a cutter. This was all on the floor. The ending here to the match was kind of messed up. Taylor hits this snap pile driver to Chris Saban and Saban just pops right up from the pile driver and applies a jackknife cover to Trent Beretta and pins him. And it was just like this weird, like you do a pile driver spot and not only does he not sell it, but it sets up the finish for the guy taking the pile driver. And I don't think the audience was ready for the finish. It made no sense. Very anticlimactic. I thought, I I thought it hurt the match just the way it ended here. So that was a disappointment. (laughs) Kenny King, Shane Taylor, Punishment Martinez, and Silas Young for the television title. One thing that Ring of Honor tried on this show was to give special entrances for guys. And the note, the immediate comparison when you see these entrances are what the WWE does at WrestleMania. Ring of Honor isn't going to be able to pull that off. They had Punishment Martinez come out with this entourage of zombies. And then you had... Kenny King come out with these two women who were throwing out rose petals to play off him being on the bachelorette. And I don't know. It was, it was an attempt to make these entrances feel special, Right. but it's just tough because you're comparing it to, uh, the industry leader that it's just, you're never going to come close to. Mm. So I guess it's like doing pyro on some of these small shows. It's like you better not not doing it. It's like it only puts a spotlight on what you can't compete with. And for the audience, they don't see the disparity. They're just comparing one to the other. So a lot of time given to this match. We're not going to go through all of it. It went 17 and a half minutes. It was individual eliminations. King hit the Royal flush to Shane Taylor. And then there was a twisting senton off the ropes delivered to Taylor and Martinez eliminated Shane Taylor. After that, um, Silas Young blasted Kenny King with a beer bottle and pinned Kenny King, who was the champion, guaranteeing we get a new champion, with glass all over the mat that the referee just uh, was able to mentally avoid. And Colt Cabana 
compared Silas Young hitting this huge uh, beer bottle to him as A, being from Milwaukee, and B, the fact that it's a bottle for from a brewer, he compared him to Paul Molitor. Which I was like, Whoa. that was a really clever comparison on multiple levels. Yeah, wow. So I thought that was a great analogy from Cole Cabana. The, so it comes down to Punishment Martinez and Silas Young. And it ends with uh, Martinez went for the last ride on the edge of the apron. The ribs of, of Martinez are hurt here. So he's selling. He can't hit the last ride. He gets driven into the barricade. And then back inside the ring, Young hits repeated knees to the ribs. And then he hits his finisher, Misery, to pin Punishment Martinez at 1729. And they were, get, they were calling a Mr. Final Battle after the match because he's now beaten Mark Briscoe, Dalton Castle, Jushin Thunder Liger, and now these three at final battle. So he's 4-0 and he wins the television title. And I would say of the guys you would anticipate, um, I think a lot thought maybe Punishment Martinez would win the title here. So it was a minor surprise that Silas Young uh, won this four-way. It was decent. It went a bit long. Maybe would have been helped by just having the one elimination, but the Paul Molitor reference alone was a high point. The Briscoe brothers versus Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer. This is the feud I talked about that I think uh, kind of flew under the radar as one of the better built-up matches um, this year for Ring of Honor. Um, Bully and Dreamer enter through the crowd, like doing the Sandman's entrance. And then the match begins, and they brawl on the floor. Bully hits a crossbody off the apron to both men. There's ECW chants. We had garbage can shots. The Briscoes are just selling throughout the first five minutes of this. The crowd really picked up here. I don't want to say the crowd was dead throughout, but the atmosphere to me was somewhat lacking. Although you'd see the crowd and they were all intent on watching the matches. Like you could see they were not distracted. They didn't look bored. And I'm sure I'll hear from people that will disagree with me. But on TV, it was just a very subdued crowd throughout much of this. And into this match they got into things all four men grabbed chairs and had a standoff in the ring and they go at it with their chairs with the briscoes getting the worst of it and then dreamer and bully go underneath the ring now remember the fact that this feud began as jay attacking bully ray giving him his final concussion where he may have to retire and then they stormed into his academy beat up his students and they tried to kill Bully. Okay? So that's the context we've got here, Way. Mm-hmm. Dreamer and Bully pull out lightsabers from underneath the ring. And they start using lightsabers to attack the Briscoes. What color? Um, one was green, and I think the other was maybe purple. Okay. Blue, probably. Probably blue. Purple so sounds wrong. They're, yeah, they're, they're baby faces. It makes sense. Perfect timing. Very relevant. To me, did not fit the tone of this feud mm. for me. Um, Dreamer then brought in a kitchen sink. Um, they did the get the table spot with Dreamer playing the role of Devon. Uh, Mark then drop kicks a table onto both. A ladder was brought out, which featured Mark hitting a senton, uh, a swanton off the apron to a ladder with Dreamer underneath. Bully got busted open here. Lots of blood. Jay used a cheese grater on Bully's forehead. Uh, There was a reverse neck breaker to Dreamer with his neck wrapped inside of a chair. Then Bully gets a chair and Jay just swings for the fences here, nailing the chair into Bully's head. Looked like he was dead. This was Dave Winfield. 
and then Dreamer comes back, hits an exploder to Mark, and then a Spicoli driver off the apron, putting him through a table on the floor. Bully delivers a splash to Jay through the table, off the turnbuckle, gets a two count, and then they set up a table, Dreamer and Bully do, and Dreamer pulls out lighter fluid. They put lighter fluid all over the table, but Mark stops him. They give Bully a 3D through the table, which doesn't break, and then Mark climbs up, hits the froggy bow elbow drop, and then they pin Bully at 16-15. To me, it was just... To me, it never reached the height of this very violent feud. I think it was just trying to do this street fight. It just... I don't know. Hmm. It was just not... It was one of those kind of hardcore matches that at times was a little sloppy, and it was... The crowd did pick up for it, so that was the good part, but... It kind of fell below my expectations. Then we went to a feature on the top five moments in final battle history. And they were from five to one here. Uh, Brian Danielson and Homicide from the 2006 show. Jay Lethal defeating AJ Styles in 2015. Danielson uh, defeating Takeshi Morishima in 2008. Number two was Steen beating Generico in Ladder War in 2012. And number one was Austin Aries defeating Samoa Joe to end his legendary reign in 2004. Then they brought out the women involved in the Women of Honor tournament that's coming up. They're going to crown their first champion. They had Deanna Perrazzo, Jenny Rose, Brandy Rhodes, Bonesaw, Jesse Brooks, Kelly Klein, Mandy Leone, Stella Gray, Sumi Sakai, and Mayu Iwatani from the Stardom promotion, uh, all brought out by Ian Riccoboni. And the tournament is going to be kicking off and they'll crown a Women of Honor champion. And then we went to the Young Bucks and Hangman Page, the Hung Bucks, against Flip Gordon, Teton, and Dragon Lee. This featured Scorpio Sky. I'll say, technically, he was on guest commentary. If he said five words, it's more than I thought. They, this guy added not, like, he didn't even talk. He didn't even talk during this match, and to the point that Riccoboni and Cabana had to, like, Make fun of it. Like, this guy's really just paying attention to what's going on here. Hmm. He just sat there. He added nothing here. So anyway, um, there was a this series of everyone in the ring. And we did, you know the spot where two guys will go for a drop kick at the same time and they miss? Yes. Well, they did that. And then all six got in and did drop kicks simultaneously and they all missed. And I watched this. And then I moved on, and I didn't think about this spot again. I didn't think about it for a second at the time. It was just like a spot. The show ended. I certainly didn't think about it. And then on Sunday, Chase Sherman, the UFC heavyweight, tweeted this and made fun of it. So one of the young bucks, I think it was Nick, I think, quoted the tweet. And as soon as I saw them quote it, I instantly thought, like, these guys know exactly how to work Twitter. They're quoting this because they're going to take this spot and it's going to erupt. I just, I so knew it. I didn't know how it would. Within two hours way, this thing was everywhere. How did they, how did he make fun of it? I, I think he was just making fun of, like, these kids doing gymnastics or something. Like, just mocking this, this 25 second clip from the match. So... Grown men watch this, is what he wrote. Okay, that's what he wrote. Yeah. So after it, of all people, Daniel Cormier is asked his thoughts about this. 
And he said, Jim Cornette, first of all, mocked the, the clip as well. Someone asked Cormier his thoughts on what Jim Cornette said. He said, I haven't seen it. Send me the clip. So he calls the clip. He watches it. Just the clip. Just the 25 seconds. And he says, this is pathetic. He said he taught and Daniel Cormier of people like legitimate fan, legitimate pro wrestling fan. So Cody Rhodes then gets involved here when Daniel Cormier calls this spot pathetic. He says he's more a fan of actual wrestling and doing a spine buster like his man, Bobby Roode. So Cody gives like a pretty harsh response telling him, well, these guys that accept their comp tickets and blah, blah, blah. And he t- at some point, he's he either told Cormier to fuck off or something involving the F word. And Cormier came back and was pretty stern in his response as well. So this thing just went nuts. And yet again, it was a buck spot that got everybody talking. And there was like, it was MMA versus pro wrestling all day yes. on Twitter. Wow. And it was just crazy. And... It was like a spot that I swear to God, way like I gave no thought to, mm-hmm. none. That is uh, fascinating, man. Well, uh, do you think there's an element of Cormier knowing he'd get some reaction like this for his benefit? I don't think Cormier gave it much thought. I mean, he was hard. I think like he addressed it like with a few people and then just dropped it. But yeah, I don't hmm. know. Uh, so anyway, all right. Cool. It was just amusing to watch from yeah. two sides that are that I'm fans of both. Let me watch this spot. I gotta see this. Way's live reaction here. great like it was just it was it's like it's just a spot typical young buck spot i wouldn't even like they do a lot of that this type of comedy stuff like i've seen that i've seen the 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 double drop kick spot like tons of times yeah uh well anyway that that is easily the most discussed sequence of this three-hour pay-per-view i'm surprised cormier um would say what he what he said because i imagine him to be a fan of this stuff but yeah i don't know and it's like, who cares? Like, everyone has their different preferences. So, like, whatever. We care, obviously. We're talking about it, right? I was more just amazed. Like, I wasn't, actually. Because I think that this kind of stuff is just, it's... it's... I, I saw it as a spark. And when the Bucks quoted it, they threw gasoline on it. And I think they know to a T what was going to happen. Okay, I think so, they knew so, exactly. So this is what Daniel Cormier said. Okay. So I, I, I'm guessing Phil Baroni sent it to him. I know he, he, yeah, he tweeted to Phil Baroni, so I I guess maybe he sent it to him. I don't know. So Daniel Cormier says, this is actually pathetic. This is what people want to see. Go to a goddamn gymnastics competition. Suplex, body slam, pile driver. Do some old school wrestling, man. DDT, I remember when the Frankensteiner was the most you'd ever see someone flip. I say boo to this BS. This tweet reads to me like Cormier knows what he's doing. Maybe. Maybe he's pushing buttons. Maybe. But anyway, it was amusing. The rest of the match... um, which was a good match. Uh, we had Teton and Gordon diving in unison with Dragon Lee, who hit an Asai moonsault. That was a great sequence. 
Uh, Matt hit a leaping somersault off the entrance ramp to the other five, landing on his feet, which was really impressive looking. Uh, Gordon hit a Samoan drop into a standing shooting star. Then he hit the Star Spangled Stunner, which he's been using. This thing, it's like the Oss Cutter, but he spins and lands in a stunner. Wow. It's very impressive looking. Uh, Gordon stopped the Indy Taker uh, with jumping kicks off the ropes. Teton then follows with a flying Hurricane Rana off the apron to the floor. Then Lee went for another flying Hurricane Rana, nearly fell. They saved it. Matt held him up on the floor for a shooting star by Page off the apron. Gordon then did this long chop sequence going to all three of them. And then he went for this quebrada, which I don't know how he was planning to land, uh, but ate a triple super kick coming off upside down. Page then lifts Gordon on his front. So picture this like they're setting up for the uh, for the indie taker. But then he's got sorry, he's got Dragon Lee on his front and then he's got uh, he's got Gordon on his back and Lee on his front. So the Bucks come off opposite corners for a combination double indie taker and the rites of passage, and they pin him in 1455. Cool. Quite the finish. Mm. And uh, so after the match, if you forgot Scorpio Sky was on commentary, <laughs> he comes in to check on the baby faces. Daniels and Kazarian enter. They attack the Bucks and they attack Flip Gordon. So it looks like Scorpio Sky, Daniels, and Kazarian are forming a a team as well hmm. coming out of this. Um, and Scorpio Sky was speechless. Pre and post angle. Main event, Cody versus Dalton Castle for the ROH title. And Dalton Castle came out, not only were the boys back, but there were other guys dressed up as the boys and he got a confetti entrance. Cody came out alongside Brandy and he had this cape uh, going over his t- top, like mm-hmm. a hood way. Yes. And he took the hood off and he's dyed his hair bleach blonde hmm. and looking like Dusty Rhodes, early 70s, only much smaller. Uh, More good looking. Yeah, maybe closer to maybe closer to Dustin a little bit. Like, certainly you could see the resemblance here sure. with the blonde. Uh, have you seen a photo of him with the blonde yes. hair? What did you think of the look? Blonde, uh, I think bleach it's... blonde is very tough to pull off in 2017. I would say it's probably less so, you know, for how good it looks and more so just to get people talking. But I think it's something we'll get used to. And I think, like, is he keeping this look or is this something like he'll only pull out for special occasions? Like, like, is he going, is, is, is this his Super Saiyan form? Well, when he came out, before I even thought of the the comparison with like Dusty and Dustin, the mm-hmm. first thing that entered my mind was he was doing blood, and I was totally right. Oh, yeah, good call. So, yeah, uh, great for bleeding mm-hmm. that hair. True. So the match begins. Uh, Brandy distracts Castle, and Cody kicks the rope and hits a flatliner. Cody gets the heat. They do a shoving spot with Todd Sinclair and Cody taking the bump, and then Cody applies the label lock. So putting that in the back of everyone's mind. Ooh. Castle gets the rope. They tease that program. Castle puts him through the timekeeper's table with a power bomb. Brandy then climbs to the top and takes out the boys with a high cross to the floor. And all three get ejected, the boys and Brandy, by Todd Sinclair. This is when Cody is sent into the post, and he's busted wide open way. Castle hit a big slam. He's striking the cut. Castle hits a flying knee, but misses in the corner and just crashes down to the floor. Riccoboni calls this the fastest sellout in final battle history at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Uh, he goes for the bangerang. 
It's blocked. The crossroads gets blocked. Then Cody misses and takes out Todd Sinclair. Castle applies his submission, which is called the Julie Newmar. And Cody taps, but Sinclair is still out. Cody gets up. He hits the crossroads. Sinclair comes to, and it's only a near fall. He hits the disaster kick. Then Cody comes off the ropes, but right into the bangerang, and Dalton pins him. And the crowd went nuts. I don't think this audience was expecting this title change. It was only 12.54, so they didn't go very long in the main event. Uh, but the audience gets up. They clapped like they had seen something genuinely surprising. And Carrie Silken presents the title to Dalton Castle. The boys return to celebrate. And the whole venue gets covered in confetti as they go off the air with... I, I can't say a total shock. I think that this opens up possibilities for Cody... Maybe doing more New Japan stuff. Now the match with Kota Bushi at the Dome is not... There's no title involved with Cody having that title. And uh, it gives Dalton now a bit of a run. I really like Cody as the ROH champion. I don't know if Dalton's going to have a super long run with it. Mm. But um, yeah, match was fine. Uh, not not blow away or anything. But that's kind of how I would summarize this show. I don't want to say underwhelming or anything like that. I'd give this card a B right across the board. It was like, never felt it was bad, but never felt it was great. And that was kind of my consistent vibe throughout this show. Mm. So that was final battle. Okay. Um, with a sequence that everyone can debate about. And yeah. we'll probably rage on into Monday. Uh, before we wrap things up, also want to mention that um, Tom Zenk, uh, the news came out on Sunday that he died back on December the 9th and the news only came out on Sunday when an obit was posted by the Minneapolis star tribune. And for those uh, familiar Tom Zank beyond just his pro wrestling career, where wrestled in the WWF part of the Can-Am connection was part of the WrestleMania three card, uh, worked a lot of tours with all Japan over the years and then had his WCW run before he was kind of out of the business by around 96. And then he had this second wave of, that's an internet popularity in 2000, 2001, where he did a number of shows, including the law and wrestling observer live with uh, Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez. And I'm pretty sure the first time I heard him on one was when Merrick and Lavransky had him on and he became like the guest for a while on all these internet shows. And he loved doing them to the point that, my brother once was able to get him for an interview. Really? Yeah. For your so, brother's show. Yeah, my brother did an interview with Tom Zenk. Wow. So, and as you listen to these, like, there was a period where he was just, like, he was, like, the most popular guest on The Law for a time. There was a time he was the most popular guest on Iata with Dave and Brian. And then there was, like, shortly, I'd say early 2002, somewhere around that period, he just went dark. Mm -hmm. And... As you look back at, like, he was someone, he was very tight with Brian Pillman, and that's kind of how he felt towards the end of this. Like, this was a guy that felt the need to top himself in all these interviews and kind of got wacky with a lot of the things he would say. I mean, just looking back today at some of the interviews, I mean, he said some out there stuff. He said some, like, eh, just things that were like, like, he was asked at one point in an interview about Jim Ross and he referred to him as Ice Face, which is just pretty tasteless. Um, and he just stopped at one point. He just went completely in the dark and didn't do any more interviews after that point in time. But there was certainly a period where it's like he was a really 
entertaining guest. And I would say to a generation, it was like they remember him as much for this 18 month period of him doing all of these interviews mm-hmm. as they did his wrestling career. Certainly. Um, I don't know if you ever I did. listened to I, him. Well, I just remember that being sort of a time when wrestlers were clearly not as willing to speak so openly about the business and uh, certainly appear on yeah. dirt sheet talk shows talking about the business like that, unless they were being interviewed. Um, so, yeah, that's it's a shame. How old was he? He was 59, so not, not old at all. No. Um, he was a guy that I know he was, uh, there was a period of time he was, I know him and Jeff Merrick were, were very close for a while. I know him and Dave uh, Meltzer were, were tight going back to the late 80s mm-hmm. um, as well. So, um, yeah, someone that just, uh, an interesting character as you, as you go back. I believe at one point he had talked about writing a book, which never saw the light of day. And I think as you look back, it was kind of how honest was he being in these interviews towards the end and i think he was just trying to become kind of like the a version of brian pillman who i think was a big influence on him uh throughout his career and life former tag partner but anyway is there a cause of death nothing was listed so i imagine that will come out at at some point in time so anyway he was someone i tried for years to track down he just he disappeared and just I don't think wanted to be contacted and just want to be out of the spotlight. And that was going back to around 2003 or so. Hmm. So that is going to wrap up the show. Once again, way, um, where can people go for all of our information that's out there? Because there's more and more creeping out. You can follow myself way zero nine three seven. And you can follow John Pollock at I am John Pollock L O C K Pollock with a lock. The lock. And uh, check out some of the stuff that's uh, recently posted twin to our pro- pinned to our profiles. Uh, and those of you who are aware, uh, there will be plenty of announcements. There have already been some announcements. Uh, we'll probably get more in-depth about it tomorrow on our Raw review. Our Raw review. So we're going to be back Monday night, mm-hmm. and then we'll have a show Wednesday afternoon. And the big one is next Sunday, Christmas Eve. We will be dropping our Christmas show which is always a lot of fun. Jingles. Jingles, yes. The deadline is Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. If you can send them to John Pollock with a lock, johnpollock416 at gmail.com. Send your entries. Uh, we've gotten a handful so far. Deadline is Tuesday at 3 p.m. John Pollock416 at gmail.com. So lots of stuff coming up in the next week. That's probably an understatement. Stay tuned big seven days coming up. Good night, and we'll chat with you Monday night following Raw.